The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is David McIlvaney. He's the president and CEO of the McIlvaney Financial Companies, uh, based in Durango, Colorado. Welcome to the show, David. Jordan, great to be with you. Let's just start with a little bit of your background uh, and how you formed the companies and what your background has been in the financial markets? Yeah, multi-generational family business, uh, both managing assets and uh, managing commodities, specifically precious metals, uh, for about 40 years. Um, I cut my teeth on Wall Street with Morgan Stanley and uh, joined the family business, what, 10 years ago. Uh, subsequently founded uh, several other companies in Europe, uh, including Global Gold, which I'm still on the board of directors for, uh, and um, also serve as uh, a consultant for a college here in town, a state university, Fort Lewis College, uh, on their advisory committee for the, the Endowment Foundation. Uh, so looking at asset allocation broadly, uh, but with a specialty in, in uh, you know, fixed income, my days with Morgan Stanley, and uh, commodities uh, with, with, with our family trading business. Let's try to take a broad look at the world economy and then kind of get down to how people should be investing on it. Um, some would say that uh, things are doing quite well. You have the Federal Reserve printing lots of money, the Japanese are printing lots of money, the Chinese are growing, Europeans are bailing everybody out, so uh, the stock market's been doing very well. So what's to worry about here? Well, I think printing underscores the fact that we're not doing well. Uh, these are extraordinary measures in extraordinary times. You have a series of rogue central banks which have taken it upon themselves to smooth out the business cycle and make sure that there are no ebbs but only positive flows, and that flies in the face of central banking history, sound central banking uh, policy making. And, uh, again, it's, it's a little bit like saying someone who comes into the hospital who's still on life support, um, while we may have seen stabilization, if they're still in the ICU, uh, you can't really say that they've recovered as of yet. Uh, there's still too much dependency on the liquidity flows from the Fed, from the ECB, the European Central Bank, the Bank of Japan. Uh, you've got the world central bankers printing like mad and keeping rates at very low levels. In fact, 40 of the world central banks have rates at record low levels, 1% or less, uh, so in real terms, negative. This is an extraordinary time, but again, to, to, to call it, um, you know, sort of in, in, on the path towards recovery, I'd say these extraordinary measures could go away, and we'd have an easier way, we'd have an easier path towards uh, um, explaining that we are, in, in fact, in recovery. What the central banks would say in response to that is without the stimulus, without quantitative easing, without the new program the Japanese have and so on, that you'd have a deflationary environment and the world would go into a worldwide depression that you could never get out of. How do you respond to that? Yeah, I mean, the issue is, is, is very clear. The consumer is on hold. Um, if you look at current deficit spending here in the United States, it's the equivalent of 6 to 7% of our gross domestic product. So without the government spending money that they don't have, 
to fill the gap that, that the consumer left behind circa 2008 uh, and 2009, we would be in the midst of a depression. So, again, it comes back to that issue of, yes, they may have to do this, uh, but to assume that we are sort of in, in, in recovery misses this 6 to 7% gap. We are completely dependent on deficit spending. We are completely dependent on, on the government here to prop up the economy and to basically paper over the fact that we haven't seen an increase in real incomes uh, in the course of this decade. And so, you know, the, those green shoots that we may see in, say, for instance, uh, real, the real estate markets, ultimately not sustainable because you haven't seen an improvement in employment and you haven't seen an increase in incomes, the two drivers of an actual long-term recovery in real estate. We've put the floor in, but again, to assume that we're, we're, we're in a growth trend from here uh, neglects the fact that we're completely dependent on Fed funding in the mortgage-backed securities market. So it seems somehow that you're saying it would be better if the Federal Reserve did not do quantitative easing, if the Japanese did not stimulate, and all these central banks were not stimulating, and then we'd go into a depression. You're saying somehow that's better and then we'd get out of the depression naturally somehow than having this kind of artificial propping up of things. I'm not sure what is better, Jordan. Honestly, it's it's a question of ultimately what is sustainable or not sustainable. And we have a long history throughout, you know, the last 5,000 years of recorded history and certainly uh, in terms of quantitative analysis, uh, the last 100, 120 years of, of good record-keeping where there is a business cycle. In the business cycle, you have ebbs and flows. And, you know, it, it was really only... After the Eisenhower administration that you began to see frantic, frantic central bank interventions to smooth out the business cycle. There's nothing wrong with a, with a decline in, in the economy. It shakes out bad businesses, businesses that have bad business models and allows for uh, new ideas to come into play and better business models to come into play. What we have today is, is I think what the Japanese have had for 20 years on a, on a, on a growing basis for us uh, and what's been sort of the norm for them, zombie businesses supported by the government uh, which which don't have to have the best ideas or the best people in place. Uh, they can continue to tap the taxpayer, uh, you know, as a subsidy for for their earnings, etc. We've seen that in Japan. To some degree, that's what we have now. What it means is that if we are going to prop the system up this way, we have to accept considerably lower growth rates moving forward because it's 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 nothing more than redirecting capital from you and I, the taxpayer, to uh, major corporations, and frankly, I don't, I don't, I'm not interested in propping up big business. I don't know about you. Where do you stand on the spectrum of uh, the worry about inflation versus deflation? I mean, the, the governments are saying inflation is a two percent or less. In fact, in Japan, they want to increase inflation because there's, they're in deflation, and they're saying that the bigger risk really is deflation, particularly with the weakness in Europe, and that's why you have all this money printing. Is, is, are you agreeing that inflation is not really a problem and deflation is the bigger problem? Well, Jordan, if I were a bank today, if I were a bank today, I would be petrified of deflation because we've just gone through a credit boom, which took total credit market credit in the United States 30 years ago of about $5 trillion to about $56 trillion today. So there's a tremendous amount of money that's been loaned out, and you certainly don't want to see a decline in the value of those loans. If you did, you'd see insolvency in the banking system very quickly amongst your big names, J.P. Morgan, uh, Bank of America, Wells Fargo. These are companies that are incredibly leveraged and incredibly exposed 
So if you're a banker today, yeah, you should be fearing deflation because there's been so much credit expansion over the last 30 years. Now, on the flip side of that, as an investor who may not own those shares or, or have skin in the game in terms of the, the banking industry, you'd have to say, you know that you know the banks, central banks, that is, um, will take care of their own. Uh, and, and, and if that's the case, then money printing is, is one of the primary tactics. You know, we've seen balance sheet expansion uh, over the last five years that's pretty unprecedented, not just in the United States, but we've gone from central bank balance sheets being $5 trillion in 2008 to now being $15 trillion. And, again, unprecedented growth in central bank balance sheets. Um, th- these, these, are, these are folks that will print will monetize, will do anything they can to keep deflation from occurring. So you have to look at this as a both-and situation because you, as the, as the facts stand, you have the potential for a deflationary collapse. But as the facts stand, you also have a history of central bank interventionism which argues for the Bank of Japan, the ECB, the Bank of England, and the Fed doing exactly what they've done without fail over the last three to four years, which is by any means necessary, keep this game going. And that includes running the printing presses. So one of the things they're trying to do is to make investors take their money out of so-called safe alternatives, CDs, money market funds, treasury bills, and so on, and to take more risk by going into longer-term treasuries, dividend-oriented stocks, and that's made the stock market go up and the bond market go up as well. Is that a fool's game, or, or is that the right place to be investing your money these days? Well, I, I think the Fed would certainly like to see money come out of the mattresses, and as far as they're concerned, CDs and bank deposits are the mattresses, today's, today's uh, equivalent. They want to see the money in the economy. Even though they've expanded their, their footings in terms of a balance sheet, they have yet to fix the banking mechanism which gets that money into the economy. And so if they can force it out, uh, by golly, they will. Um, they haven't done that with, with the threat of inflation here. They're certainly doing that in Japan with those means, basically saying, listen, you can sit in government, short-term government bonds and get paid nothing, but understand that when we start running inflation rates at 2%, we're going to be eating into your principal. Um, so what does that do? Well, look, you've seen the Japanese stock market move over 40% in less than six months. On what basis? You've got money that is being scared out of the mattresses. Okay, so that, that's exactly what you just described, money going into equities, money going into other alternative investments, because they don't want to be uh, slashed and burned by, by their own central bank. So I think we will continue to see some of that. Um, what what we don't like to see is the kinds of valuations that we're beginning to see in equities, where you know if you look at a cyclically adjusted price earnings multiple that is adjusted for inflation over a ten year period, you can expect to see somewhere between two and two point three percent per year returns in the S and P and the Dow. I don't know about you, but two percent returns for the market risk that you're taking. I'm not sure that risk and reward are in balance. Uh, so, you know, we're now at a, at a point where we can certainly become more overvalued, but it's certainly, you know, if you're looking at the S&P 500 today, it's not a bargain. Now, your expertise is in gold and precious metals in various ways. Uh, gold, of course, has taken an enormous hit uh, lately. Uh, so why is gold a better alternative to treasuries and dividend-oriented stocks in this environment? Well, it's a great question. I mean, we've got Apple down 43% as of today from its peak, and no one's talking about Apple being in a bear market, and yet gold's off, you know, 28, 29%, and, and it's going to zero, according to many market analysts. Of course, it won't go to zero. That's a bit of hyperbole. 
But I, I think when you look at gold, the arguments for owning it over the last several years uh, still are there uh, as, as, a, as an asset that is uh, representative of, of, of an inflation hedge uh, that is outside of the banking system and outside of the collateral calls, which you can see in the banking system and in the finance, financial world. Um, it's, it's an asset that does run contrary in terms of correlation uh, to your, your general equities markets. Um, and, and listen, the bull market has yet to complete itself. We're up 500% with gold, 600% with silver over the last 10, 12 years. And, and that's taking into account the catastrophic losses we've seen in the last week. Now, five to 600% returns in the last decade. I hope you participated. I hope your listeners participated in that. But this is not how... Um, this is not how bull markets end. We haven't seen anything of a parabolic move to the upside in either of these metals. Rates of change of 150 to 200% in a given calendar year, that would be more characteristic of uh, a blow-off phase, certainly what we saw in the technology stocks in the 90s uh, and, and, and real estate in Japan. Uh, we haven't seen anything like that in gold and silver yet. We think we will see very high numbers in gold and silver circa 2014, 15, and 16 as we have uh, re-emergent problems both in the equities market and the bond market here in the United States. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is David McIlvaney. He's the president and CEO of the McIlvaney Financial Companies. Uh, his website is McIlvaney.com. We'll be back after this. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Everybody needs expert advice when they look to develop their personal brand. Join Rochelle McCrary for The Leader and the Muse. Rochelle and her guests will bring you practical tips and tools to help you build your brand in ways that propel you into greater personal and business success. For strategies, stories, and much more, tune in to the Voice America Business Channel every Friday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time for The Leader and the Muse. And get ready to take your brand to the next level. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CIO Talk Radio, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experiences with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive. This means better care for customers and improves the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel, the bottom line in business talk. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is David McIlvaney, President and CEO of the McIlvaney Financial Companies. Welcome back to the show, David. Good to be with you, Jordan. Tell people a little bit about what the financial companies are under the McIlvaney Financial Companies umbrella. 
Yeah, going back to 1972, we've offered money management services and precious metals brokerage, two separate companies, International Collectors Associates is our precious metals brokerage, and McIlvany Wealth Management um, manages assets across uh, categories, be it commodities, uh, fixed income, equities, uh, foreign um, FX and things like that. So uh, basically everything under the sun. We're not structured like a hedge fund, but we certainly can own things long, short, et cetera. So interested in the macro, as we've been discussing in the, in the earlier part of this uh, conversation, but the micro is obviously where the details matter when you're making allocations and ultimately making money or preserving value. And at your website, com, they can buy uh, coins or their newsletters. Tell, tell people what they can get at that website. Yeah, McIlvany.com, it's M-C-A-L-V-A-N-Y.com. We, uh, on a weekly basis, have a an audio commentary, uh, and then Friday we have our sort of market wrap-up comments. Both of those are, are available at no cost. Um, you'll also find a link to the various web pages that we have, whether that's interviews that I do with uh, national uh, news outlets, uh, Bloomberg, CNBC, Fox, what have you, um, or, again, just the, the commentary that we produce in-house. So a lot of educational tools uh, for you to understand what's happening in the market and, and sort of what a, a reasonable strategy would be in, in a particular given environment. So um, that's um, that's the best place to find us, McIlvany.com. We have three separate DVDs we released this last year, the most recent one just in recent weeks. would encourage you to view those for free. Uh, it's called The Fuse is Lit. That's the series. And the first one we did on, on Europe. Uh, the second one we did on Asia, specifically China. And the third we titled An American Reckoning, which looks at sort of our fiscal and monetary issues faced in the current tense. Uh, and, and over the next two, three years as well, expectations that you should have as an investor uh, and some precautionary steps to take. So clearly you're a believer that the gold and silver should be a big part of your portfolio. Let's go into the different ways, the pros and cons of different kinds of buying gold. Uh, what are the pros and cons of buying uh, physical gold, coins and bars, and what's the best way to do that? Well, uh, let's start with the cons. You have to have a place to put them. Uh, so you're either having someone store them for you or you're taking delivery of them, and that means putting them in a safety deposit box or literally in your floorboard, something of that nature. And, and so they are cumbersome, uh, but at the end of the day, they are in your possession. They are private. Uh, they are portable. And, uh, again, you have them in, in your complete physical control, which is not something that most investors are concerned about until you're talking about collateral issues, which is something that we saw certainly in 2008 where the banking system was clamoring for quality collateral. And, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's when you want control of your assets versus having them exposed uh, within the financial markets. So those are- and would you have bullion or do numismatic coins and – uh, where would you be- get the best coins? Sure, sure. Now, the pros of having physical metals, yes, they're in your control. Uh, and, 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 you know, I think the best products to own, bullion, should serve as the foundation for a portfolio. Um, and you could have sort of one-third in gold bullion, one-third in silver bullion. And then if you wanted to do something more exotic, certainly uh, something with some age and scarcity um, could be interesting. This week is a perfect case in point where gold is sold off in the last 10 to 12 days um, better better than $200, and yet um, some of your, um, should we say, collectible coins uh, are only off 25 or $30, uh, relatively speaking. The downside has been limited. The premiums have increased. Etc. Etc. But again, that's sort of the bells and whistles of a portfolio. The focus should always be on ounces, and there you can focus on bullion coins or bars, Krugerrands, Maple Leafs, American Eagles, what have you. 
Premiums on all physical products right now are, are moving higher because demand over the last couple of weeks, in spite of the prices going down, uh, which would indicate weakness, physical demand has been off the charts. The other way to get into gold and silver are the exchange-traded funds like a GLD or SLV. Uh, what are the pros and cons of those? Um, advantages are, and we, we utilize those in our managed funds, certainly uh, the exchange-traded funds give you a tremendous amount of liquidity. You can buy or sell them in, in, in almost unlimited quantities uh, with the click of a mouse. So the cumbersome nature, which we were describing with the physical metals, you don't have with the ETFs. You do pay 40 basis points a year for the management of the fund. Uh, most of them are 40. You'll, you'll find a few that may be 35. Uh, but, you know, these are particularly attractive for their liquidity and the ease of ownership. Um, disadvantages, unless you're a large player taking delivery of, of 400-ounce good delivery bars, delivery is not an option. So if you have 10-ounce exposure to an exchange-traded fund, you can't request delivery. It, it, it's stuck in the system, so to say. So you do have some other risks that you wouldn't have in the physical metals where, you know, again, that control factor is in your hands with the physical market. It's not in your hands with the ETFs in the event of, uh, of some hiatus with, within, within the market trading. And how about gold mining shares, uh, which tend to be even more volatile than the underlying gold itself? or gold mining mutual funds or ETFs holding gold mining shares. Yeah, well, and, and I can tell you, Jordan, you, you've been writing about uh, financial issues for many, many years. And, you know, when you look at miners, you're looking at sort of the worst and best investments on the planet, except for, say, 10% of the time in which they can outshine virtually anything on the planet. Are we in that sort of 90-10 phase where we're transitioning to the 10% where you want to own it? Well, I tell you what, they have been absolutely put through a meat grinder as, as gold and silver have taken a hit in the last week. They're trading at levels we haven't seen relative to gold uh, in probably 50 years. Uh, so, you know, they're cheap, you could say, but as you know, uh, things that get things that are cheap can get cheaper. Um, I'd, I'd say you've got to treat the miners like a perpetual call. Um, they may not expire and, and unless, of course, the companies go under. Focusing on your majors, uh, your majors are, 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 are the companies that have, um, you know, 10 to $20 billion market caps uh, probably makes the most sense, and you're still going to see volatility there. Um, I, I would suggest it's a fool's errand to, to be picking up the, uh, the penny Penny stocks or the, or the companies that are sort of the, 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 the lowest quality. Um, while the appeal is there in terms of rates of return, uh, if we see gold stay down at these levels for any amount of time, you will see many of these companies go under. So how about some ETFs that have a diversified portfolio? Of gold money shares like a GDX, something like that. Is that a better way to do it? That would be the best way. Yeah, and unless unless this is something that you're you're picking as a profession or something to fill all of your free time. Uh, but for those in retirement, frankly, shocking pecans or, or playing golf is going to be more interesting uh, than going through the 10Ks and balance sheets of these miners. Um, they don't give you all the facts uh, anyways, and they can't really quantify some of the risks that you have with them, including political risk, which which would simply be confiscation of the assets. And you're seeing more and more of that with either you know an increase in royalties or an, an outright confiscation, a nationalization of, of leases and mines. Uh, those are risks that you, you face with many of these companies. And as you suggested, uh, getting a diverse portfolio of them via an exchange-traded fund is not a bad, not, not a bad approach. Of your total portfolio, what percentage do you think should be in precious metals? 
you know that really depends i i would say of of total assets and this would be real estate private business interests you know you you reflect on the european tradition of 5 to 10% of net worth in in physical metals some degree of that in silver probably the majority in gold um, those are sort of your outside numbers 5 to 10% of total net worth um, you know, when you when you pencil that out, subtract out business interests, uh, privately held business interests in real estate, five to ten percent of, of of net worth could be as high as twenty five to thirty percent of liquid assets. Uh, that's you know, could you turn it to cash within a matter of days? Uh, so it ends up being a higher number of liquid assets, depending on how you're calculating it. I, I think Europeans have always looked at sort of the five to ten percent of you know assets that you can carry with you, and that has certainly to do with a sensitivity to a change in national boundaries where, you know, we haven't seen that happen in the United States, and it's not a real sensitivity that we have. But if if you lived in Europe in the last hundred years, uh, you know, what was your farm ended up being someone else's farm on the basis of confiscation, and they've always liked having some quote-unquote real estate they could put in their pocket, um, wealth that they could carry with them very quietly anywhere in the world. So, again, that's probably more of a European tradition, but Five ten percent. That still sounds pretty low, even at twenty five percent. With the way you're describing what's coming, even to have twenty five percent of your assets in, in gold and precious metals sounds pretty low for what you're looking for. Yeah, I, I, to me, you know, when you if you if you were to draw a triangle, what we call our perspective triangle, draw a triangle and and sort of do a basic asset allocation model with with on the right side cash and cash equivalents, on the left side growth and income. That could be your traditional equities and bonds. And at the base of the triangle, precious metals, you know, if you're talking about an equilateral triangle, a third, a third, a third, um, what you're dealing with is a portfolio that's fairly watertight given a growth scenario where, you know, a third is, is allocated to growth and income and you've got some horses in the race, so to say. If you're dealing with a deflationary scenario, you cash is king and you've, you've got that defensive uh, position uh, along with just being able to manage a business or household well given, given high liquidity on the right side of the triangle. There at the base, precious metals are, are what we consider an insurance policy. In, in the case of market collapse, in the case of uh, higher rates of inflation, you know, these are sort of your worst case scenarios. And looking back at the last decade, cash has been an underperformer as interest rates have come down and your growth and in income space, well, bonds have done well, but your, your equities have not done so well. You, of course, off the recovery lows, they've done just fine, but a decade peak at equities and you're just marginally above the old highs. Meanwhile, gold and silver have put on five to six hundred percent. In other words, they've done their job in this particular period of time, but not being able to see the future, having a balance between cash, growth and income, and precious metals, we still think is very prudent. Do you see a kind of a race to the bottom going on in the currency wars? I mean, the Japanese are trying to depress their yen, and everybody else is trying to race to the bottom. How does that ultimately end? Yeah, Jordan, it's the world's divided between two camps, those who are talking openly about uh, degrading the value of their currency and those who are denying it. And the, the reality is they're both doing the same thing. You know, the dollar is losing its value by at least 2% per year, and uh, that that is their contribution to the currency war. Now, the reality is our inflation rate may be higher than 2%, um, but through hedonics, through adjustments of, 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 I mean, we could spend half an hour talking about all the ways that inflation is marked down, um, but I think you have at least the 2%, if not a 4% rate of inflation today. We are, which, by the way, for any of your listeners, a 2% rate of inflation in your lifetime will destroy half of your purchasing power. How now do you look at your savings? 
How now do you look at the Federal Reserve and its job of managing price stability when their stated objective is to rob you of half of your purchasing power during your lifetime? That is not fair, in my opinion. So you've, you've, you've got the understated case of inflation here in the United States or Japan, where, in fact, they've said, listen, we're going to take this thing lower. We are going to advantage our exporters, and now they've got the G20 blessing to do so as long as it's done modestly. Yeah, this is a race to the base. I, 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 would, I would agree with that. And, and so you're saying that the only way to protect yourself is a currency that can't be printed, which is precious metals. I think that goes a long way towards offering you some protection. I think there's real assets um, such as diamonds and artwork and farmland that may also be a substitute. But you're all talking about real things that, that, that are to some degree um, – it can't can't be replaced. Um, there's a there's a finite limit to them. So uh, you know I think this is why you're seeing you know Picasso's uh, go at auction at record record uh, prices. You're seeing the wealthy uh, identify the same problems. And you know even in even in the last 90 days, the, the price of gold and silver notwithstanding, it is a remarkable. I mean, I'd love to hear your comments on this, Jordan. But it is a remarkable thing to have Bill Gross. In his roundtable discussion with Barron's this year, Mark, his number one recommendation for 2013 is gold. A fixed income guy talking about gold, and just a few months later, Jeffrey Gundlach with Double Line Capital saying, yeah, while I like gold, I think silver will outperform, and I think it's one of the things that you have to have in your portfolio right now. What are we looking at when fixed income asset managers are talking about real assets? Do they see inflation on the horizon? What's your guess? Indeed, they do. <laughs> we have to end now, unfortunately. Uh, my guest this, uh, during this half hour has been uh, David McIlvaney, President and CEO of McIlvaney Financial Companies. Again, you can find out more about him at McIlvaney.com. Thanks so much for being on The Money Answer Show, David. Nice to be with you, Jordan. Thank you. We'll be back with another guest right after this. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world leading conversations with host cheryl esposito creates a place for that dialogue tune into the voice america business channel every friday as cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business government art economics and social change We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading Conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Everybody needs expert advice when they look to develop their personal brand. Join Rochelle McCrary for The Leader and the Muse. Rochelle and her guests will bring you practical tips and tools to help you build your brand in ways that propel you into greater personal and business success. For strategies, stories, and much more, tune in to the Voice America Business Channel every Friday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time for The Leader and the Muse. And get ready to take your brand to the next level. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. 
The path to leadership excellence begins here. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. Uh, my guest now is Zenas Zakis, who's the uh, CFA Partner and Chief Marketing Officer at MA Capital Management uh, based in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida. Welcome to the show, Zena. No, thank you. It's good to be here. Let's start with your background a little bit uh, and how you got to where you are today. Okay, sure. Uh, I've actually uh, been in one form of money management or another since I graduated college, so uh, over 20 years at this point. Um, I have seen um, everything from operations to trading, portfolio management, um, even down to legal and compliance. So I've uh, I kind of tell folks I know where all the dead bodies are buried uh, within the money management industry. Um, personally, I have a degree in economics from uh, Cornell and. Uh, uh, MBA in finance and economics from the University of Chicago's uh, Booth School of Business. Um, so it's uh, you know it's my entire career in life uh, seems to be money management. <laughs> Tell us the kind of services uh, MA Capital Management offers to individual investors. Oh sure. Well, at MA Capital Management, we're systematic investors, and that basically means that we use rules-based investment methodology um, based on our, our proprietary algorithmic models to decide what to buy, what to sell, and in what quantity f- across uh, clients' accounts. Um, and the reason we do this is because we we believe in taking the uh, emotional and human behavioral biases out of money management. It, uh, our process sort of ensures a Dispassionate investment and risk management decision-making uh, process, um, and as you know, uh, you know markets are constantly changing. So our models are uh, are also adaptive to uh, to changing markets and, and environments. So, is it a contrarian strategy that since you're not listening to emotions, you're tending to buy what people want to sell, and vice versa? Um, it's not necessarily, it can be contrarian. It's not necessarily designed to be contrarian. It is basically, I mean, we've, we've all read sort of, you know, uh, the research, uh, behind sort of behavioral economics and the fact that, uh, you know, emotions can lead to suboptimal investment decision making process. What it basically does is it applies mathematics, um, to, uh, uh, the markets. Um, because markets, in our opinion, you know, markets are constantly evolving, for one thing. The markets, when I started 20 years ago, are not the same as they are right now. They are, you know, you're trading much larger volumes, uh, money flows are a lot faster, um, and even, uh, you know, executions have become a, a heck of a lot faster. Um, that combined with the fact that you've got, you know, m- more and complex players within the market, um, it's just a lot of data to handle, and we believe um, that using uh, sort of a rational, systematic, and rules-based approach on, on proprietary mathematical models is, is one way to, um, to to invest. And we believe it. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, if you take your, we'd like to keep our emotions in our personal lives, not in our in, not in our investment decision, because investment decision making needs to be rational and it needs to be based on cold hard analysis. Uh, what's going on, not whether I think or whether a portfolio manager thinks, you know, a particular stock is going to go up or, you know, is afraid to sell because they're sitting on the loss and it hoping and, you know, they're hoping for it to bounce back up. So it, it eliminates behavioral biases. One of the big things you do is what you call dynamic rebalancing. What do you mean by that? 
Um, so we are. Uh, so that basically means that we are um, rebalancing uh, individual portfolios um, at, uh, on a monthly basis. Um, and so, if you look at an account from month to month, uh, in one month we could be heavily weighted in one asset class, and then the next month, if our models tell us that that asset class is in danger, uh, then we can go. You know, we can move that position to cash. Um, so dynamically rebalanced basically means that we're not we're not just buy and hold. Uh, we will actively apply uh, a risk process um, when we look at our portfolio. So if we have, um, there's several ways of looking at risk, um, and it's, it's sort of, it's, it's, this isn't technical analysis because it takes hundreds of variables into account, but if you look at sort of um, um, uh, the security pricing, its trend, its volatility, a number of other factors over the short and long period, over short and long uh, periods, um, our models can tell us whether, you know, the uh, uh, gold, for example, might be in danger. Last month, I'll give an example. We kind of, our models told us that gold was, uh, looking iffy, so we moved our clients out of, uh, their gold exposure at the end of March. Um, and it, you know, turned out to, turned out to have been, uh, quite prophetic. And that, and that was all because of the numbers and the volatility and uh, financial yeah. analysis. Yeah. That's exactly it. It's just, it's a dispassionate, you know, data analysis, basically. And part of what you also do is what you call proactive risk management, uh, similar to what you just talked about. How do you do that proactively? How do you get out of things beforehand or get into things before they go up? Okay, so um, so without uh, this could be a three-hour conversation, but without getting into the details, essentially what we look at are sh- uh, short-term and then sort of longer six-month-out plus factors that we have, that we think or that our models think is going to affect uh, a securities price, whether that's a, a REIT or an emerging markets bond or whatever it is, right? Um, if uh, and it's just not one or two variables; it is a collection of variables that we've tested uh, that work uh, for us. Um, if our if if that algorithm um, or if the outcome of that of those models is telling us that you know asset class A is in danger, then we will you know quite readily move that entire position out into cash. We're not afraid of holding cash when, when we think the market is at risk or when we think a particular asset class is at risk. So um, so risk management also means, you know, you have to – it's also dispassion. It's also kind of – it's also rational. And it's also based on um, on our algorithms. And But keep in mind, Jordan, these algorithms are also uh, adaptive in that, you know, the algorithm we might be using, we may have used, I don't know, um, you know, five years, five, ten years ago, might not be the same algorithm that would apply in today's market either. Um, so it's uh, like a search engine we uh, uh, that also uses adaptive algorithms, these models do as well. Now, in addition to using traditional assets like stocks and bonds, you also use alternative asset classes. What are some of the alternatives that you use, and what role do they play in the portfolio? So we use, uh, besides uh, regular stocks and bonds, uh, we use um, REIT, uh, REITs, uh, we use commodities, um, emerging, uh, emerging markets. We particularly like uh, frontier markets as our emerging market exposure. Um, so what we try to look for in, in other asset classes um, is ways of enhancing um, alpha. Um, so those, uh, those are some, some, of the, some of the long-only um, uh, assets we use, and we use them through ETFs, low-cost ETFs. But they're all liquid. These are all alternative. They're not like... Hedge funds are things you can't get out of quickly. Uh, yeah, the, the ones I'm talking about right now, yeah, they're all liquid. They're, you know, the SPYs, the VNQs, those are highly liquid ETFs. Okay. Um, so now let's kind of take a look at the overall uh, market as you see it now. 
Um, the central banks around the world have been printing lots of money, trying to kind of force people out of safe investments, uh, CDs, money market funds, and cash, basically earning nothing, yeah. uh, into uh, higher-yielding stocks and uh, bonds and so on. Is that uh, a policy you think is going to continue, and how should investors react to that? Well, you know, the central, we believe that at some point all this money printing, which has been, you know, monumental to say the least, is going to lead to inflation. You know, whether we actually get, we, we get the question from investors all the time, you know, what should I be doing? Uh, what should I be doing with my portfolio? What should I be doing now? It really just, you know, it really just comes down to uh, the individual investor. If they are in it for the long term, um, you know, we believe that in, uh, investing is still a great way to uh, build wealth, uh, probably one of the more effective ways if you're disciplined about it, if you're rational about it. Um, central banks, you know, they the money printing that has gone on has created what, in what I believe are some sort of short-term or short-term uh, distortions. Um, for example, you know, the the... The, one of the impetus of printing all this money was to, you know, support uh, GDP growth. Well, a lot of that has gone into uh, into the stock market. So the folks, so the main beneficiaries of that uh, are not the middle class, for example. They are the, you know, the hold the, the holders of uh, securities to begin with. Uh, so that's sort of one distortion. Another distortion could be, you know, I'd rather spend, I'd rather put my money in the stock market because I see it going up instead of investing, um, you know, and hiring in my small business, you know, more folks to, uh, to, uh, uh, you know, help, to help uh, grow my business. Another distortion that you could, you know, that has come out of this is that, um, as more and more money gets printed, the actual effectiveness becomes decreasing. So there's sort of decreasing marginal returns on the on the additional sort of money being printed. It's having less and less of uh, less and less of an effect, which is highly problematic, probably to say the least. You know, we should be meaning that they're going to do less of it or more of it in the future. If they're getting less out of what they're doing, that might mean. I mean, like in Japan, they're actually yeah. increasing the amount that they're printing because maybe it's having less impact. So. Does that kind of ramp up the distortions even more? Um, it could. It really, you know, Japan, and you can't really sort of compare the U.S. or Europe to, you can't really compare it to each other, but Japan's got a very interesting um, case study, if you will, there. You know, they, they've been, you know, they've basically been uh, dead in the water uh, for the last, you know, couple of decades. Um, you know, but there are also sort of structural things to keep in mind when you're, you know, money printing is one thing, but if the structure that you're printing that money into isn't effectively set up uh, to use it, um, uh, then then it's not, then it's going to become less and less effective. Uh, you know, I think the the, Japan, the Japanese will be, you know, I, I don't have an opinion on where this experiment's going to go, uh, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not... Uh, Culturally, you know, I've, what I've seen, at least in the last 20 years, is the, the Japanese are very conservative people, and so really to do sort of a money printing experiment the way they intend, the way they say they intend to do, you really need to be committed. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see whether politically they're going to be able to be committed over the, the over the amount of time that it needs for something like that to really work out. So, um, you know, there's there's a bit of a political angle to it as well there. I think. How should investors respond when you have the central bank? like in Japan, saying they want to create at least 2% inflation because they've had too much deflation for a long time. Does that mean you want to be in, put more money into Japanese stocks? Um, you know, it, uh, I, I wouldn't necessarily um, uh, put money into a single, uh, into a single country like that. Um, if, you do, if you do think that inflation is going to be going up, an equity basket uh, is probably, 
you a better bet. The thing you have to keep in mind, Jordan, it's the 20 years ago, a country in isolation could, you know, carry on fiscal and monetary policies and not really have it affect the rest of the world. Uh, but these days, in our, in our global system is so interconnected that, you know, policy decisions coming out of China might affect things here in the United States. So it's, uh, we have to be careful um, to, you know, we have to be, sort of, we have to appreciate the fact that we're a much more connected world. Um, and so, you know, what happens in one part of the world is going to have effects on the other on the other side of the world. With respect to, you know, putting money into Japanese equities, um, you know, the the one thing I'll say about investing is that you know, it's um, other than it, I think it's a very good idea for long term wealth management. It's you need to have risk dynamics sort of risk management processes around it because. Um, you know, those those are there to protect you not only from the things you fear, but it's also to protect you. They're there to protect you from the things that you can't expect are going to happen. Um, so, so I would say yes, but make sure you've got risk management. Okay, very good. We're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Zena Spasakis. Uh, she is a partner and chief marketing officer at MA Capital Management, uh, based in Florida. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Is your business model robust enough? In today's ever-changing business environment, people are working to transform themselves, their futures, and their business. Tune in to Business Reinvention with your host, Nancy Lynn. To stay ahead of the game in business, you have to constantly reinvent yourself and your organization. With Nancy's experience and that of her guest experts, you'll learn from stories of inspiration, innovation, and forward thinking. Listen for Business Reinvention, live every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Business Channel. In sales, are you a lion or a vulture? Lions don't wait, they just go for it. Vultures hang around until the lions are finished and just pick up the scraps. How can you set yourself apart as a lion? Join the other aspiring sales lions and listen to Forget Patience, Let's Sell Something with host Ty Maynard. You'll learn the tips and strategies of top sales professionals. You'll gain more clients at a faster rate and at higher margins. If you're a sales professional, business owner, or executive, listen in every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour, this half hour, is Zena Spazakis. Uh, partner and Chief Marketing Officer at MA Capital Management based in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida. Welcome back to the show, Zena. 
It's good to be back. Um, let's just tell people a little bit about dealing with your firm. Uh, what kind of minimum accounts do you have and how do you deal with individuals and kind of how do you manage their assets once they give them to you? Oh, sure. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's, uh, easy. Um, our account minimums, um, are 25,000, uh, per account. Uh, we custody and trade all accounts at, uh, Charles Schwab and it's, uh, uh, pretty easy to get started with us. There's a there's a one page form on their website uh, to uh, get started. And uh, what we do is, uh, you know, like I said, these accounts are uh, actively traded and risk managed. Um, so you know, uh, so you know, the folks if they're deciding to go with us, you know, we need to make that very clear to them. Our risk management process is such that if we see, see an asset that's shaky, we will move into cash, and that might mean, uh, you know. Uh, more trading than a traditional sort of buy and hold uh, portfolio. Um, and uh, what what kind of fees are involved in having uh, you manage their money? Uh, the fees start out at point nine five percent of assets under management, and they go down um, at different breakpoints depending on the size of uh, of the account. So the first uh, half million is at uh, ninety five basis points. Um, the next, uh, the next block is at .85 and it goes down another couple of steps. A lot of that detailed information, um, is on our website, uh, so it's just, uh, it's, uh, it's that, uh, it's that AUM fee and, um, and the, but the, uh, trading are, um, separate tickets, but we, you know, we're constantly negotiating to lower trading costs down on behalf of our clients, so. It sounds like there's a lot of trading involved, that there would be a lot of, in and out if you're making these changes all the time. Is it quite an actively traded portfolio? It's, uh, you know, on any one month, there's going to be a handful of trades. You know, I don't want to make it sound like there's hundreds of trades. There's only just a handful of trades, but really the positions, because we use well-diversified um, uh, ETFs, there, you know, there's, there's, there's a handful of positions. You know, there's, uh, um, there's uh, U.S. stocks, there's uh, foreign stocks, emerging markets, um, commodities, real estate, um, and uh, fixed income. So there's a handful of just assets, um, and they're you know we're not moving to cash constantly in all of them, uh, but uh, we do have the option of trading several times uh, for a, a few trades a month, and they happen at the end of the month. Very good. You put out a piece of your firm put out a piece recently called uh, "Bonds Are Cheap, uh, Gold Not So." I mean, most people think the bond market is a huge bubble about to burst. It's had an enormous uh, rally for the last 30 years or so, and bonds are the last thing anybody would think are cheap. So why did you uh, write something like that? So that was one of our contrarian pieces that was written by uh, uh, by one of our partners. Um, you know, the uh, there's two parts to that article. The first part, which was on gold, um, you know, we there were several reasons, at least, at least that we believed, and when we wrote this probably two weeks ago, right before the market sold off um, um, last week, uh, claiming you know that gold was uh, was in danger, um, and you know there, the reasons for that, uh, you know, I can just go over a few of them. You know, fiscal austerity is not necessarily good for gold. Um, another factor was, for example, uh, India. Uh, everybody knows that uh, you know many folks in India love to buy gold, but last year India imposed severe restrictions on loans to buy gold to protect their falling currency. Uh, so that's put a dent uh, in demand. And uh, you know the financial market panic barometer, if you will, uh, that reading, as far as we saw, it was low. So we made um, we made that call uh, on gold. You know at we think longer t- in, the, in the short term we're gold bears, but you know longer term, 
Our forecast for gold is, uh, in fact, much higher. Uh, it's just we just don't believe it's going to happen uh, in 2013. Um, and so the and so the other side of that uh, article was, um, you know, our sort of position on uh, on bonds. Um, you know, we, uh, you know, at some point, uh, you know, the 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 jump in yields and the subsequent bear steepening uh, of the yield curve um, is being attributed to upcoming Fed hikes in the short term. Uh, and we know that the, the Fed has made it very clear that it's not going to start raising rates until the jobless rate drops to about 6.5%. Uh, but if you look at sort of the the trend line um, on the current jobless rate, we don't, you know, we don't expect that to happen um, until, you know, well, well into late last, into later of next year. And if you look at the, actually, if you look at the euro dollar futures strip, uh, it's also pointing to a sort of December uh, 2014 uh, start in rate hikes. Um, so they're. Uh, so you, you think know, rates we, on bonds are going to stay where they are, if not fall a little bit further the rest of this year? Um, well, we, you know, if we we think. Uh, we think they're 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 probably um, uh, not until you reach uh, 2014 do you, do we see any sort of significant uh, increase in, in 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 bond yields. You know, I mean, inter from month to month things can happen that'll yeah, you know, push it up or push it down, but the significant uh, sort of spike uh, we don't see uh, for for some time now. You also talked recently about a survey by uh, central banking publications and the Royal Bank of Scotland uh, yeah. showing central bankers investing in a lot of non-traditional currencies and riskier assets. What is the significance of that survey? Well, that 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 uh, survey it really caught our eye because for the first time uh, ever, I mean, I can't remember another time, uh, and, and even being a student of sort of central bank history, have I you know heard bankers looking beyond what you traditionally what they would traditionally use as reserve currencies. And this survey basically said that these. Bankers are looking at non-traditional currencies, you know, specifically, uh, you know, the Australian Canadian dollars and also riskier assets, which includes equities. Uh, and what came out of the survey was that, uh, you know, so these central bankers um, are doing this because, you know, as rational creatures, you know, I suppose they want to, they want to pick up yield on whatever they're holding. Um, you know, yields, they, they cited yields on U.S. and, you know, sort of safer European government bonds remaining very, very low. And that's why, you know, there's, uh, uh, this, this sort of at least small trend, uh, so far. Uh, so what are the implications of that trend of, of uh, buying these non-traditional assets? It's, you know, the central bank is, you know, cause the buck kind of stops with the central bank. You know, we, if, if, if a central banker is moving, you know, his positions out of, uh, U.S. treasuries into, uh, and in some cases, uh, a handful of them have started using indexed, uh, equity indices, you're raising the risk. Uh, of your portfolio, you know the reason you buy uh, U.S. Treasuries is because it's probably one of the safest, you know, uh, forms of holding a reserve currency. Uh, but if you're starting to buy, you know, equity indices, even if they're, you know, large, liquid S and P, um, you're adding not only volatility uh, to your portfolio, but you're adding risk. I mean, at the end of the day, you, I don't want a central. If the central banker is holding a hundred dollars. In reserves, I don't want him to put it at risk and have him lose, you know, 38% of it because the market has dropped uh, of that hundred dollars, which you know, which happened in 2008. Um, you know, if, if, then that shrinks the uh, that shrinks their uh, their their, uh, their their holdings, their balance sheet, which is you know dangerous for an economy. They can't do as much uh, if they don't have as much. Very good. Okay, my yeah. guest this hour has been Zina Spazakis. Uh, she's the partner and chief marketing officer at MA Capital Management. 
based in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida. Uh, their website is uh, macmllc.com uh, to find out more about their services. Thanks so much for being a guest on The Money Answer Show, Zina. Thanks, Jordan. And we'll be back with another edition of The Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.